Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Like, uh, we <laughs> run across each other during a turkey hunt, a managed turkey hunt down at Peck Ranch Wildlife Area, and uh, boy, we've had quite a quite a week. But you're a little bit more familiar with Peck Ranch than me, so maybe I can quiz you a little bit about some of the past history of the area. You know, Peck is what? How many acres in Peck Ranch? The area consists of uh, almost 24,000 acres, Bill. That's a good chunk of land, and I tell you, this is some of the most wild, remote country that you'll find in the Missouri Ozarks, and it's just beautiful. Some big timbered ridges, some steep valleys, and uh, man, we've been chasing turkeys around all week. I think you've been chasing more turkeys than I have, but Frank, I'm going to save the turkey hunting discussions for another segment here. In this first segment, we actually want to cover a little bit of the history of the Peck Ranch area, and like I said, uh, you're a little bit more familiar with the area than me, so perhaps you can share a little bit of that info with us. As you already mentioned, there's a lot of um, high, narrow ridges that range anywhere from 900 to 1,000 feet in elevation. I think they're taller than that. I tried climbing one of them this morning. I, I, I think they grow as the day goes on. And as each day goes by, they got even taller. The area's highest point is Steagle Mountain, which is 1,348 feet above sea level. Uh, Rogers Creek and Milk Creek, which flow into the current river, meanders through the area. Peck Ranch became as a dream of a wealthy Chicago businessman um, after acquiring 19,000 acres along Mill and Rogers Creek. George Peck. And that's who the area is named that's after. That's who the area is named after. The other investors established the Mid-Continent Iron Company, uh, Peck's dream included clear-cutting Peck Ranch to supply the 100 cords of fuel per day needed to fire the smelter's blast furnaces, and he employed over 200 families and installed his own teams to haul cordwood. Um, The company town which sprang up uh, around the smelter became known as Midco. During World War I, the area continued to boom, and the U.S. government spent $3.5 million. That was a lot of money back then. A lot of money now, so it was a lot of money back then. $3.5 million to install a wood alcohol distillery at Midco to be used in making ammunition. Now, I don't quite get that connection. I'll, I'll have to do some studies and find out how you turn alcohol into ammunition. <laughs> I, I don't either, but you know this was needed for uh, World War II. The low-grade iron ore mill of Midco folded after the end of... Uh, the war and a flu epidemic that ravaged uh, the Ozarks kind of put the last nail in the coffin there. Yeah, and, and that's a familiar story. Of course, I'm familiar with Merrimack Ironworks, which was the 
first successful ironworks, uh, West Mississippi River, and they operate from what 1826 to 76, and and I think competition from roller mills up north finally got them. But isn't it interesting in this rugged frontier? Makes you wonder how people even found iron deposits, particularly a guy from Chicago. And sometimes these entrepreneurs kind of went on a whim and on, uh, you know, just uh, hearsay. that, they, But they'd send people out to explore. I mean, I mean, this is backcountry now. We can only imagine what it was like then. Oh, I, I'd be hard to imagine. How would you get through this country? I think I they probably followed game trails. It, it, it would have it, 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 a lot of hard work by a lot of people, obviously. Oh, I'm sure. 20, 20 families and... And then more after that, I'm sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. But uh, a frontier business like that had to be tremendously difficult to get started. And so many of them were short-lived, just like this. But uh, the history continued after Medco went out. Peck returned to Chicago um, when Prohibition ended. The demand for white oak barrels surged. Mm-hmm. And the Griffith Stave Company bought the remaining timber rights on Peck Ranch and revived the area's timber industry. The boom was short-lived, and Peck Ranch was once again for sale. And that, the reason we're talking about all this, besides just for historic purposes, that's what led up to the Missouri Department of Conservation purchasing the ranch in 1945. And I think uh, they probably had a mission in mind when they did that, uh, when they purchased these lands here at Peck Ranch, I think I'm correct in saying, maybe you can help me out with this, but Peck Ranch, as I understand it, was kind of the last stronghold in the Ozark for both the white-tailed deer and the wild turkey. Absolutely, but the, the main target was turkey management. Turkey management. The uh, Today, diverse management techniques include prescribed uh, fire and forest products. Harvest methods are being used to maintain and restore the area. Um, the conservation area is acquired in part through Pittman-Robertson uh, Wildlife Restoration Act. For those uh, That was administered by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It's a federal tax. If people don't know what Pittman-Robertson monies are, that's a federal, um, I believe, excise tax on all guns and ammunition. Exactly right. So, hey, it was, it was hunters that paid for this area, just like we have so many other areas. But uh, when MDC got their hands on these lands and they began to manage for the wild turkeys and began to increase. I think I'm correct in saying too that the original trapping programs to expand the turkey population across the state began here as well. Absolutely. Well, did you ever get involved in any of that as a uh, conservation agent? No, most of that I was I'm not quite that old Bill. <laughs> I just I'm trying to gouge you a little bit, you know. But I mean uh prior to to me working for MDC uh they had uh, they had trapped and and relocated uh, several birds around different places, and even uh, you know there were birds that were getting trapped even over at Mingo National Wildlife Area that were that were used in different places too. So, um, well, that's another huge area. It's kind of a swamp, but there's what close to twenty thousand acres there. I think. Yeah, that was probably one of the last areas they're trapping birds and, and moving them around. But uh, it was it was really critical for their their turkey management uh, program to get it started back again. Well, I, I know it was quite a process that they developed over the years, and I think uh, there was even some experimentation with pen raised turkeys, which just couldn't cut it out it, in the wild. It, it doesn't work. You're just feeding the predators, and um, 
it, there was an attempt, but you know that didn't work. But when they started, you know, relocating the the Ozark birds that were already here uh, back into areas that hadn't had wild turkey in years and years in in adequate uh, habitat types, then the turkey be, began to reproduce. So. Um, that worked a lot better than releasing the tame birds. The tame birds, basically, they're just feeding the predators. Absolutely. It didn't take long for them to figure that out, no. I think. And in the process of... I did know some of the biologists that started this. Uh, John Lewis with Missouri Park. Yeah, I remember John Lewis. Absolutely. Yeah, he was... He was Definitely uh, wasn't he in on developing the cannon net for trapping turkeys? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was quite an invention for its time. You know, it's it just so funny. Of course, they'd bait the turkeys, and I've seen photographs. And I'm sure you have too. And they got this huge net and fired with cannons that would throw this huge net out over a flock of turkeys. And of course, they didn't get them all. No. And uh, no, no. There's 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 issues with uh, cannon netting. Cannon netting still used today uh, in in some areas uh, for banding waterfowl also. Yeah, I've, I've seen photos of that as well. But you and I both, we're retired and we have reaped the benefits of MDC programs over the, the years and the expansions of the wild, wild turkey. And it's one of the grandest conservation success stories in the whole United States. Absolutely. White-tailed deer and, and, and turkey... Uh, in the state of Missouri were almost completely gone. We were, were talking around the campfire uh, about southeast Missouri when you were growing up uh, uh, near East Prairie about how big a deal it was just to see a deer track. Not a deer, but a deer track. Just a track. Yeah, I used to hang out in an old country store, Bennett's store, and uh, the old guys would sit there and play checkers, you know, and uh, somebody would come in and say, oh, they'd seen a track on an island or along the Mississippi River, you know, and they were just so excited about that. Now, as a kid, I can remember thinking, well, what's so exciting about a deer track, you know? Of course, I never saw a deer, and I never saw a deer or wild turkey till I was in high school, and I uh, actually made a trip to Jeff City, a school trip, and on that trip saw my very first white-tailed deer and first wild turkey, and I was 15, 16 years old. Absolutely. When I when I started deer hunting, and you could... You could you could probably go back a lot farther than I can. Um, I'm not that old. We had doe days. Yeah. We had a nine-day season. We had doe days on the end. So uh, most of the time, families back then, the the men or the adults went uh, hunting the first weekend. And then the second weekend, the kids got to go. So um, I... My dad would fudge on that a little bit, take me out of school for a couple of days, and I'd get get to hunt a couple of days going into the weekend. But it was a very difficult proposition. Um, I didn't harvest my first white-tailed deer until I was an adult working for the conservation department and took my first white-tailed deer uh, by archery methods. So, I mean, I hunted starting at the age of 12 uh, and hunted deer every year and never did manage to get that doe. Uh, on the second weekend, so so there weren't that many deer, and we hunted. Uh, that was over in uh, Texas Phelps County area. There weren't that many deer back then. Absolutely, and I I didn't get to start deer hunting until after I was college down in military, and actually uh, was superintendent of Merrimack Spring Park on the Phelps Crawford line. And I wasn't very good to deer hunter. In fact, 
I started turkey hunting before I started deer hunting. An old gentleman I went to church with had an old British 0383 that he had sporterized, and he just insisted I go deer hunting. Well, I, I waited till the very last Sunday to go. I went on a Sunday afternoon, went down to a neighbor's farm. I'm just standing on a hillside soaking up sun more than anything. And there was a soybean field down there and a little creek, a dry creek bed that run through there. And I saw a deer's back in, in, that, in this big whopping buck stepped out iron sights i hadn't even fired the rifle you know made all the classic mistakes and i missed a 180 class buck in fact a friend of mine killed it the next year and it scored 182 wow uh i'm glad i missed that deer that would have been a horrible start you should have just quit after you know (laughs) if you got that there you'd been done and you know pursued other hobbies yeah it would have been terrible to kill a deer like that as your very first one because it would be hard to top absolutely but what a success story you know with our missouri department of conservation and you and i have lived through the most of it you know we've we've seen the time when it was just practically no deer or turkey in the in the country uh, or in the state and i would have never guessed that i would be seeing the populations that we have today i have no idea what our deer population is but our turkey population uh, topped out at over 600,000, you know, uh, back in the 80s well, and 90s. Well, I mean, we would have never dreamed harvesting in excess of 200,000 deer uh, annually in the state of Missouri uh, back, you know, back when I started or back when we were kids, back when you were amazed just to see a deer track. So really? we've come a long, long way and uh, tried to integrate some of the history of Peck, Peck Ranch on this on this program, uh, I for one didn't realize um, that Peck Ranch history went, you know, was that deep and that involved. I, I sure didn't know that uh, the conservation departments had this property for a very long time, 1945. That's a while. But uh, they've done amazing things with this property, and we're going we're gonna to touch on that a little bit more in the second segment of the show. We need to take just a short break here, folks, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. Hi, everyone. Brandon Licklider here with the Marys County Bank. Um, today, I wanted to talk to you real quickly about the pre-qualification process. Um, as we've talked about, there's a lot of really nice properties out there, and this process can help you be ready to buy when the time is right. Um, typically, at the bank, um, what we're going to collect to pre-qualify would be two years financials at minimum. Um, so we're going to be looking for tax returns, W-2s, pay stubs, anything that's applicable to the transaction itself. And of course, a completed application. We do have several ways we can get that application to you via our website or via encrypted email. Make the process secure if you're not local or if there's you know any special circumstance we need to work with. Um, from there, we're going to go through a review process where we're going to go through questions with you and we're going to really look at um, your situation as it pertains to the transaction, um, gather all of that information and really make the best decision for you um, moving forward. And again, this this process is really designed to be a help to help you be prepared to buy when the time's right. So, as we've talked about, these properties are really booking up fast. So when you see them out there, you know what your buying power is. You know what you're capable of doing. It allows you to act quickly and and be in the running for some of these great properties. Um, in closing, here, just want to let you know that the Marys County Bank is an equal housing lender and member FDIC. And if you have questions or you'd like to talk through this process with me, feel free to reach out to me at 573-265-4600. Again, my name is Brandon Licklider with the Marys County Bank.
Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I've been delighted to have Frank Kemp with me on the show. We spent uh, a week together in Turkey Camp uh, down at Peck Ranch. But uh, Frank, again, you've had a lot more history with Peck Ranch than I've had over the years. And you actually worked here, I guess, during your college days? As a student. As a student. When I was a summer employee with uh, the conservation department. When I was going to college at University of Missouri Columbia, which you went there also, Mizzou, everybody calls it Mizzou. Yep, spent um, six years up there. So uh, when I was working on a research area outside of uh, Columbia and Ashland, uh, one of MDC's, uh, uh, the Green Area, Charles Green Area, they'd use us for for different needs around the state. When I started working for MDC, one of the first things I did that first summer I worked for them was a fawn mortality study uh, under Kip Woods, I guess, who was doing a, a graduate project. And uh, we would, it takes, it took a lot of manpower because most of the deer dropped their fawns within about a three week period of time. And, uh, the idea was to have enough manpower down here, young men, young men. <laughs> I can see why, what is deep hills. And uh, they could move quickly, and we'd actually capture these fawns by hand. And uh, we got a hold of them, we handled them with you know rubber gloves and didn't handle them any more or longer than we needed to. We're very careful about the procedure, and then would uh, we put radio collars uh, on the deer and then re-release them, you know, quickly. So uh, they found out um, over time in this area, an Ozark setting, because you know, depending on what geographic region you are in the state, you'll have different influences, different predation influences um, in each area. But for the Ozarks, um, it helped them quite a bit establish. Uh, what was affecting the deer population in the natural setting. Yeah, and and can you recall what any I, of those situations were? I, or, I, don't, or I don't remember what the results were, but um, so I, I don't want to guess at this point. Right. But I know it was very helpful. Um, it, it was an important study at that point because obviously, as I mentioned before, the deer population, the white-tailed deer population in Missouri, still really hadn't... Um, Obviously, grown t- tremendously over the years, but but uh, it grew leaps and bounds, uh, you know, from that period of time in the early '80s uh, to the harvest we're seeing out today. And we couldn't even imagine back then what, what we're seeing oh, today. No, not at all. But the conservation department—it it wasn't just the conservation department's efforts; they solicited the help of private landowners as, as, as well. So uh, I'm sure people were quite anxious maybe to have a wild turkey release or a deer release on their own properties. And uh, that's kind of what helped scatter uh, across the country. And, of course, in about 1973, the National Wild Turkey Federation came on the scene as well. And uh, I know the Conservation Department worked uh, hand-in-hand with NWTF, and that helped. There were a lot of, gr- you know, a lot of groups were involved. Um, NWTF was involved uh Missouri Department of Conservation's uh, parent organization. Conservation Federation of Conservation Missouri. Federation. Great organization, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they started when, about 1936 or 37, mm-hmm. about the same time the Conservation Department did. And they're a citizen's organization made up of uh, 
golly, I think about 120 different outdoor organizations, you know, small clubs up to big clubs that have pitched in over the years, raised a lot of funds, and they they have an annual convention, and they come up with ideas, kind of run through all these committees, and uh, then try to... Uh, present those to the conservation department. Some of them fly, some of them don't. Some of them are good ideas, and I'm sure like uh, every other organization, some, you know, just go by the wayside because right. uh, uh, they just don't meet the needs. But the Conservation Federation has also pr- provided a lot of uh, funds to MDC. And I said a couple of terms on, on the George C. Clark, Missouri uh, chapter of the NWTF, and uh, it was surprising how much money they raised from banquets, you know, across Absolutely. the state. And a lot of those monies went to MDC, uh, particular for things that sometimes that just weren't in the MDC budget. Maybe an area manager needed a, a cedar, you know, or a cultipacker or whatever, and sometimes we were able to provide those funds. NWTF uh, <laughs> also provides quite a bit of the funding for the uh, the spring burning, the control burning on National Forest Service. Yeah, and that uh, we found out. Uh, I guess we've known really for quite some time that uh, burning areas is really very important for uh, you know it produces new vegetation and and another thing that uh, people often do not understand is the fact that fire is good from the standpoint that you're burning up the fuel that's on the forest floor so you don't get stuff piling up for years and years and then if you get a fire absolutely it's very serious probably the the best thing that uh control burns do is is they can take uh they take the leaf litter away obviously as you just mentioned but it can also help transform which which is something that might be close to a monoculture and make a lot more diversity. Like you said, there's a lot of plants that haven't come up for years, and you go in and have a controlled burn, and you'll have, you know, all kinds of plants that haven't been there for years. Exactly, and of course we're sitting here in my camper trailer right here on Peck Ranch, and we can look out the door and see the effects of uh, controlled burns all around us. They've burned, I guess, quite a bit here over over the winter, and uh, it. I walked through quite a bit of it. It's interesting to see the new plant life that's coming up. And you you told me something uh, this last week I never heard, heard before, but uh, you were talking about wild turkeys using burned areas. Explain that to us just a little bit. <laughs> Especially when you have a good acre crop. I mean, it exposes a lot of food for them. Now, granted, they, you know, turkeys scratch everywhere they go, but... Uh, they really like... I mean, it's like... Somebody bringing you a nice, hot, fresh bowl of popcorn out of the yeah. microwave or off the, <laughs> off, the, off the stove. If there's if the food supply is there and and there's a lot of leaf litter on top, it just makes feeding that much easier. Exactly, and and I was on a ridge or climbing up to a, a ridge. I was on a slope this, this week where I saw it was burned, and I found a grove of black oaks where the acorns were just littered the ground and there were still lots of acorns there now uh, i didn't find any white oaks like that so it told me that the red and black oaks had produced that year maybe the white oaks failed and and that's another good thing that turkey hunters need to know you know white oak uh, oak acorns i think turkeys prefer them over the black oaks just like the deer do but white oak produced or try to produce every year for the Red and black oaks take like two years to produce. Yeah. So you can get an off year for the white oaks and still have a lot of 
black yeah, oak it's, acorns. It's, it's just a it's a two year process with the red red black oak. So if you had uh, something that affected the tree the prior year, um, then you know you may not have very good uh, mass production on, on the red and the black oaks. But the uh, and a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, that that's certainly true. But if you know that the white oaks have failed and you can find a good grove of black oaks quite often, that's a great place to turkey hunt. Absolutely. Or deer hunt either one. Right. So that, that's a good thing to know. Well, a lot of things have happened here in Peck Ranch. You know, they picked a place up in 1945. That's 55. So they've had it like 75 years. And uh, I know lots of studies have taken place down here. And we saw uh, another grand thing happen here just a few years ago with a reintroduction of the elk absolutely and that's uh that's really been interesting too because even you know that even affected the turkey management because they shut down turkey hunting during the course of the you know we're down we're down here turkey hunting so you know that's our priority right now <laughs> not, not, not elk i think they'd get mad at us if we shot an elk this week uh, yeah they probably would <laughs> but, but anyways um turkey population didn't get hunted for a while uh, during the early stages of uh, the elk restoration which, which took several years so they noticed that they uh, uh, there was an ample turkey population here after they had the elk program established here so then they reopened it up in a uh, draw type management spring turkey hunt they only allow uh, 40 hunters in each week uh, you're, you're not allowed in all three weeks. You're only allowed in one week where you're where you're drawn. It it's not an extra turkey. It is, it's uh, it it comes off your tag. It's not an extra turkey. It happens during the regular three week turkey season. So. Yeah, I kind of messed up on that. I thought I was gaining a week on turkey season, and I discovered I wasn't. That and I could actually be at home and uh, probably been in some better turkey hunting uh, areas. Uh, I just know the properties better, but right. it has been intriguing with that elk situation and the Rocky Mountain Elk uh, Foundation helped out with that process quite a bit as well. But and those are what Rocky Mountain elk? Do we know? The elk, the elk came from several different states. Um, Some came from Kentucky, I think. Yeah, they're come from several different states. Uh, they're you know they were trying to get the. Uh, healthiest animals they could they could find even though uh you know cwd really hadn't hit yet they yeah. were they were looking toward herds that uh, hadn't had any problems so they were very careful in selecting the elk for the missouri reintroduction uh long periods of quarantine in the states where they came from uh agents were even sent to those states to help um, with the uh, security of those animals. Also, when they came back to Missouri, uh, agents uh, round the clock, you know, the, the elk pens, there were elk pens here, and they were, it's what they call a soft release. Um, but they, they were penned up here for long periods of time before they were released uh, here also. Well, the Missouri people population have been quite taken by these elk and there's a grand tour that you can take through here and uh, quite a bit of traffic comes through at times but the uh, peak time to come is peak bugling season so that you can hear those elks bugle and that usually begins when the bugling process september 
prime time uh, August might be a little early but uh, in your western states it's typically September might be a little bit later here maybe late September more early October um, but for those people who are fortunate enough to draw those elk tags in the state of Missouri you know they're they're allowed options for they have a time period during archery season which they can archery hunt mm-hmm. and or during the you know uh, with the firearms also later you bet well i i had a little problem with mdc about that process i suggested to them that they only allow people 70 years and older to be able to draw the tags <laughs> that didn't fly. Then you're gonna to have to have a whole team of people to help get that get get the elk out. Yeah, yeah. which you're going to you're going to probably have to anyway. Yeah, exactly. The elk is a big animal, but I do encourage you folks if you haven't been down in the fall to listen to the elk bugle. That first bugle I've, that you hear. I've actually, never heard one bugle here in Missouri. I haven't been really. During... I, I was down here three years ago, I think, in September and. And I uh, was doing a little video and had a big bull come down out of the woods just screaming, man. It just makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck, you know. But, you know, it's uh, coming up real quick like here, I think, in May that we have to uh, apply for both the elk tags for the fall and bear tags. Yeah. Any, I missed any, it last year. Anybody, you know, people spend a lot of time on their phones. There's a lot of ways to spend your time on the phones. Get the Missouri, the Mo Hunting apps. Uh, go into MDC's, you know, website. Uh, there's always something going on. There's always some uh, application for some hunt that's going on that you don't want to miss. Exactly. Um, there's a Mo fishing app too. I use them both. You have to remember, you know these day and ages and we talked about this as far as uh, broadcasts and newspapers you know newspapers are kind of becoming obsolete slowly but surely and almost all your information anymore are on these uh, public websites or uh, social media so but you have to, you still have to go in and look for it. Right. You know, what I learned toward the end of my career were was people are carrying these phones around and there's a wealth of information in those phones but only if you look for it. Exactly. I've, I've watched you always use your phone with the maps and I'm old enough I, I don't do a lot of that but uh I'm going to talk about that in the last segment okay. because you've been very helpful this week. We need to take another short break here, but uh, folks, don't go away. I don't care if you're driving down the highway or carrying in the groceries. We'll be back. Frank Campa and I are going to talk about turkey hunting on Peck Ranch Wildlife Area in the next segment. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors. Every man has a fish in his life that haunts him. If you've been fishing very long, everybody's had the big one get away. In some cases, there's been lots of them that have gotten away. But there always seems to be one fish that every fisherman can tell you a story about. Well, fishing's been tough in the Ozarks over the last few weeks because we've just had torrential rains. Our rivers have pretty much stayed 
uh, flooded. In fact, a lot of them are around right now, and those arcs are, are flooded. But, uh, hey, we're getting up into May, and things will start calming down now, and we can get into the summer months uh, when all the fair weather fishermen come out. But, uh, hey, if you haven't uh, been fishing or have not fished at all, find somebody to take you fishing. Fishing is a great way to get in outdoors and enjoy uh, some beautiful, beautiful places in the Missouri Ozarks. The Arkansas Ozarks are full of absolutely gorgeous rivers and lakes that you can enjoy. Well, turkey season was kind of tough. It just wound up, and uh, it was tough in Missouri as in uh, Ozarks as well. Uh, I actually didn't take a turkey this year. I did take one back earlier in mexico but had a tough time here in the ozarks it rained so much and uh, on the mornings when i was able to get out uh seemed like birds just did not cooperate although one morning out of three weeks i had a good morning roosted uh birds and uh they worked a little bit, but I had a Jake come running right in on top of me. It was going to run my whole setup, and I tried to take that bird, and unfortunately, I missed. That doesn't happen very often, but, hey, it keeps us humble. But uh, I spent the first week of turkey season down on Peck Ranch Wildlife Area down in Shannon, Carter, Reynolds counties, and uh, that's about a 25,000-acre wildlife area, and quite a few birds there, but they got a lot of room to roam. But the weather was so bad, it just rained, cold and windy, and I actually only heard one bird gobble all week. And I hunted on private ground back here closer to home, and that's where I had my mist take place. And then I spent some time with the uh, former editor of the Outdoor Guide magazine, Bob Whitehead, and some of his friends down on the Big Piney River in a camp for a couple of days. We got to hunt one morning, and uh, then the rain started again, and Big Piney was coming up, and so everybody had packed up and went home. But I did make some uh, new friends there, uh, David Hosking and J.D. Hey, what a great time we had to together. Man, it's always great uh, to make new friends, especially in turkey hunting camp. Well, I want to take just a moment to run through our sponsors list. I encourage you to deal with these people throughout our communities and because uh, they're supporters of Living Dream Outdoor uh, Properties and Podcasts. So number one on the list of Living Dream Outdoor Properties, the Fly Rod Journal, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, State and Water and Boat Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzal Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, Rich's Famous Burgers, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinker and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters in Kaufman Cove, Alaska, and Bean Creek Game Calls from Licking, Missouri. What a fine bunch of people and some great businesses. So be sure and support those people. May, it's the time. you still got a couple of weeks that you can apply for bear and elk tags for the fall uh, seasons here in the state of Missouri. Just go to the Missouri Department of Conservation website at mdc.mo.gov. And then you can work your way through the webpage there and find the spot to apply for the bear and elk tags. I think there's a $10 application fee for each, and there'll probably only be a half a dozen elk tags given out. And uh, usually they allow 
about 40 bears to be taken in three districts across the state. So be sure and apply the exciting stuff to be able to have uh, bear and elk seasons here in the state of Missouri. Well, it's time for that drawing. You know, uh, it's fun every couple of weeks to be able to give away a gift certificate from uh, one of our fine sponsors. And this week is going to be the biggest gift certificate we've ever given away i've got a 500 dollars gift certificate towards a fishing trip from j&j charters in kaufman cove alaska so if you've ever dreamed of going to alaska and fishing uh, this is on prince of wales island with uh, captain john rodriguez and i've been up there and fished with him before and boy is he ever a great captain a lot of fun a lot of fish so here we go all right it looks like the lucky went to winner is Chance Hollingshed from down in southwest Missouri, around Dora, Missouri. So I'll get a hold of Chance and let him know that he has won a $500 gift certificate. But folks, hey, the way to get uh, entered into the drawing is to go to uh, Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast Facebook page, like the page, and then simply type in your name and that automatically enters you into the drawing. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. Frank Campa and myself, Bill Cooper, we are two old outdoorsmen. Two old turkey hunters. Two old turkey hunters. Yeah, we've had some grand conversations this week. Now, you were here in the campground when I arrived, I think. I think you beat me here. When did you come in? No, you beat me here because I would have camped where you camped. You beat me here. Oh, really? I got your camping spot. No wonder you've been over here all now, week. No, somebody else got our camping spot. This was my second choice. But second choice. Well, so I, I took the third choice, and I was well, happy to have it. Yeah, I was hap- happy with this, but we we uh, talked to each other just pretty quick-like and uh, hit it off. And, uh, man, and we've done a lot of talking this week. I, I can't remember a week when I've talked so much. Well, after 1 o'clock, there's not a lot to do except for talk and eat uh, that's, and sleep. That's it. And, uh, we've had it all covered. But I've been delighted to have you over in my camp quite a bit because, man, I came prepared. I brought lots of food. My wife was here for a couple of days, but she doesn't eat very much. And, man, we've had some fine meals. You, you've provided me with a lot better food than I brought. Well, I was afraid you was going to starve to death during the well, week. Well, when there's just one person in your turkey hunting, you know, it's it's usually not hot meals. But I believe in hot meals. You know, I actually wrote a column for a decade or so called the Gravel Bar Gourmet. That was just cooking on gravel bars. But I've learned to cook in the outdoors. I think the first meal we shared together was a, a very small deer ham that I had. Cab- it was great. Oh, wasn't it? Cabbage in the bottom kind of keeps things from burning. And, you know, the usual carrots, potatoes, this, onions, and celery. Let me fill this in because you're used to doing it this way. I'm going to tell you what I learned from mm-hmm. your cooking mm-hmm. on that first meal. A, I didn't know anything about putting cabbage on the bottom of the Dutch oven. Great way to go. And you did the typical venison, potatoes, carrots, onions. Celery. Celery. But then, besides the cabbage on the bottom, there was another. Because I picked out a couple different flavors. One was the cabbage. But the other one had sunk to the bottom. And that's where the really good stuff was on the bottom. And that was... (laughs) the apples okay i i have a confession to make i normally don't put apples in there but i actually gently dropped that apple in there no way that's the truth so i thought 
well, maybe that'll be all right. So I slice it, it up it in it. Through it. Yeah, it was it was a nice. I think touch. I suggested pears. If you didn't have apples, pears you, would be good. You did, and, and not, I'm gonna and try not, that. And not somebody. canned. They got to be the real fruit. Right. Now you you uh, peeled them. I take it. Yeah, I didn't peel the apples. You I just I just quartered them up, up and threw them in, them in the bottom. Great. Yeah. Great flavor. In I'll there. do I'll do that from now on. With the cabbage on the bottom and the apples in there. So if you guys like your stews, whether it's venison or not, you know, put all that good stuff. Don't forget your celery. Yep. A little bit of seasoning, which you probably won't tell anybody what kind of seasoning you put in there. But, oh, I, just, I mean, that's part of the secrets. But but anyways, the biggie was the cabbage on the bottom. Right. And the, the apples or the pears that they're quartered up. But very good. Now, I did brown that deer ham in the, on the stovetop in the camper. I learned that. I learned that from my wife. Yeah. Just if, you, if you're going to put some meat in a crock pot like that. Brown it. Brown it in a pan. Or you could do a Dutch oven before you put the rest of the ingredients sure, in it. Or you sure. put it on the stovetop. Um, huge difference. It, it is. And I like to brown that sort of thing in bacon grease. You can't. What else? What else is there? <laughs> it is great stuff. But that was our first meal, and uh, man, we've had spaghetti, we've had steak uh, fajitas, and so much of that stuff is so easy to make. It's not like it's difficult. It does just take a little bit of planning. You, get, you just do at home a little bit of meal planning, um, and a lot of the stuff you're winging it, you know, with your leftovers. Sure. But if you, you know, pre-prepare your uh, your peppers and your onions, you can cut all that stuff up. You have your mix already made. Yeah. Um, yeah you can yeah. put it in a Tupperware, and you're ready to go when you hit the can. Yeah. I enjoy chopping it up. I chopped all that stuff up uh, today for the steak fajitas, you know, mm -hmm. fresh right out of the cooler. And another little tip, uh, you know. And you forgot you forgot your marinade, but you made your own, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't believe I forgot that steak fajita marinade because I love that stuff. But I literally took a, had a... Uh, jar of uh, peppers out here, poured a little juice in, threw a few of the peppers in, some mustard and ketchup and some other seasoning, and it was as good as what I buy great. at the store. As good or better. Yeah, it turned out great. But besides all the great meals here, we've had a uh, great deal of fun running around exploring Peck Ranch and uh, trying to kill a turkey, and we're, we're still turkey-less. We, and, you know, the birds are here. But we've had the awfulest run of weather I've ever seen. In Continuously. First, first week of turkey season. Yeah. We've had cold winds. Um, obviously, it's been average colder than normal. We don't have any leaves out yet at all in the trees. Right. Um, you're talking about some really big timbered areas, which were wide open anyway on, on part of the area. Um, it's just a real difficult situation. Plus... They're just not gobbling much. It, it's been cooler. They've had a, a lot of rain. And a lot of high winds. Cold high winds, a lot of rain. It's just a, probably one of the most difficult combinations uh, to hunt turkey in. However, um, I've been on goblin birds every day. You have. Uh, you've had more luck uh, with the goblin birds than me. But, uh, Frank, it's obviously that... You, obvious that you hunt differently during this kind of weather than you do hey, the warm sunshiny days when everything's perfect well and, and, and you know it too and and you've traveled and hunted other places and you know where the seasons open up earlier and you really have to scout your sign you can't depend on that gobble exactly and i've found lots of sign but i just you know what you say you know how the 
tell the uh, the freshest turkey track it was a foot in it <laughs> <laughs> but i found lots of signs but just uh, haven't come up with the the turkeys yet but i, I do something i have called in two hens and on days like this when they're not going to gobble very good i quite often use a lost call like you would use in in the fall Absolutely. that long series 15 20 30 mm -hmm. yelps and some clucks on the end of it and uh, i've had good luck over the years bringing in jakes and in particular two-year-old birds now they will not gobble at that call so you got to stay awake uh, they will walk in silently Absolutely. i've killed a number of birds like that over the years so it's not like and you know yourself we're seeing it here this week with this bad weather a lot of folks that drew into this hunt haven't showed up but and a, I, a few have left because of the, the weather. Uh -huh. And but, you, but you, we've had many show up. But I think I think they're kind of heating up. I think uh, uh, at first I hadn't heard any any birds gobbling after they came off the roost. Yeah, there were some days that they didn't gobble on the roost. Uh, but now we're getting to the point where it, they're uh, they're on the ground. Most of them got hens with them. That's a difficult situation. But that's just part of turkey hunting. You got to learn how to deal with that. But um, I think the second and third week are going to be really good in these parts. I mean, you can't uh, judge one little area in southeast Missouri and compare it to northern Missouri because it's it's apples and oranges. Uh, exactly, or, or even ten miles away sometimes. A absolutely. Yeah, every uh, place is different. But what a fun week it has been. It's been so relaxing to be down here in this grand area. I mean, I've, I've seen uh, uh, the elk, lots of deer, a bobcat, saw one wild hog, saw an eagle. Butterflies are coming out like crazy. Butterflies are coming out like crazy, and it's just been a grand week. And of course, uh, I pack a camera with me, and I run around. I'm a huge wildflower fan. They're really starting to pop. We took an afternoon, went over to Rocky were, Falls, and we went to Rocky Falls, and I, I keep getting the name wrong. The Mills is it? Is it Clemsig? K L E P Z. I say it different. I say it different every time. I always. Start with a K and end it with a G, but I always, I always say it different every time. So I finally got to see that. That's been with what was an hour of my home for the last 30, 35 years. I guess I was too busy to get over here and take a look at it. There were backpackers coming off the trail on Sunday. Yeah, no, Sunday pouring down rain. When we were here, you know, scouting and uh, over at uh, Rocky Falls, and they deserve a medal because the weather was was cold and wet very wet downpours well uh they were very well equipped and that's a good point you know even turkey hunting uh, we both had rain gear you know you got to plan for this sort of thing a lot of clothes shorts shorts to winter wear <laughs> exactly because the temperature's been up and down it's going to hit like 82 degrees tomorrow right and uh so i'm wearing short sleeves now it's starting to get down towards nightfall starting to cool up but hey we've kept a running campfire going on as well too we've had uh, now that's uh, taking a lot of extra effort also keeping a campfire going yeah i, I brought uh, just a little bit of fuel with me they don't like for you to bring in outside woods because right. of you know disease problems but uh, i run around the area there's been lots of wood cut and some of it's a little bigger than i like but uh, i picked up enough wood to keep her scrap, scrap pieces you yeah. bet you scrap pieces of wood and it's great to me that's one of the most fantastic 
fantastic things about turkey camp is sitting around the campfire with buddies, getting to know each other, eating good food, and telling stories. The hot food, the hot coffee, and the and the fire have been very important this week. They really have, and uh, I kind of chuckled at at you because uh, yeah, you're a hardcore turkey hunter. You know, you bring just a minimal of food and no hot food that don't fly in my camp. Got a whole bag of turkey calls, but, you know, living on granola bars and bologna and bologna and ham. But you know, I've lived I've lived on granola bars and bologna sandwiches, turkey hunting for years. Yeah, I used to do that too, but the older I've gotten, the more I like. I enjoy cooking. I, uh, of course, love to eat, and uh, there's nothing better than having somebody to share it with. And and I, I've appreciated it. <laughs> well, I kind of tell tell you like uh, I tell kids, you know, I take them hunting and fishing. They just ooh and ah, and they they're so appreciative. You know, I, I always tell them they just frown. I said, I'm not doing this because I like you. I said, <laughs> You just like to cook. Yeah, I said, no, I tell the kids, I said, well, I'm getting older. I'm going to need you one day to take me. (laughs) You're going to have to start doing the cooking pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. But what a great time we've had at Peck Ranch here for a week. I've been to, what is today? Thursday. Thursday. Tomorrow, Friday, I will have been here a week, and it has me been me yeah, it has been a grand week here in the Missouri Ozarks, you know, and it's again one of our areas that uh, is owned and operated by the Missouri Department of Conservation. And kudos to them, man. Kudos it, to them. Uh, meeting other turkey hunters in camp is um, it makes the trip. It really does. We had a gentleman stop in this afternoon. He'd seen my truck. It's got a lot of logos on it, you know. And uh, he'd heard a podcast. He said, oh, that's got to be. He thought I was Brandon Butler. <laughs> Brandon does the Driftwood Outdoors podcast. And he has some of the same sponsors that I have for Living Dream Outdoors podcast. And Brandon, if you're listening to this, don't forget, I got those sponsors for you. You owe me. Like a turkey hunt, you know, <laughs> a good turkey hunt when it's not raining and storming and all that kind of good stuff. But what a week we've had. And folks, if you, you haven't turkey hunted, man, I encourage you. Conservation Department had programs. There's all kinds of online stuff that Frank mentioned. You can get all kinds of information. And they put on clinics, too, that you can catch once in a while that'll help you out. But ask somebody to take you turkey hunting. Go, go with somebody who knows the sport, whether it's a turkey hunting or duck hunting or, or deer hunting. Always go somebody with a veteran. Um, you'll be more successful. And they'll keep you out of trouble. Hey, and it'll cut light years off of the learning experience. Absolutely. Uh, that learning curve can be pretty steep sometimes. Well, Frank, man, I want to thank you again for being on a program with me. What some great information you gave us. And uh, I hope we run into each other at, at uh, turkey camps in the future, man. But thank you, sir. Been a great week. Well, from Frank Camp and myself, hey, we're living our outdoor dreams. We encourage you to do the same. I'm Bill Cooper, and this has been Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. Hey, guys, this is Frank Cox with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Hey, have you ever considered a career in real estate? If you have, but you don't have your license, this is your opportunity. So each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. 
On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Bean Creek Game Calls, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.